Hey everyone, it's Avi here. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe during these difficult times. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you all to Dr. Kara Pepper. She is an internal medicine physician practicing in Atlanta, Georgia. She is specialized as a life coach and helps busy physicians love the life they worked hard to create. She specializes in burnout, perfectionism, and imposter syndrome. Today, I will be speaking to Dr. Pepper about physician burnout. Now, there are studies that show that physician burnout rates are as high as 45 to 50%. So more often than not, many physicians face burnout. In light of the COVID-19 pandemic, we fear that the rates are much higher than this. So Dr. Pepper and I dive a bit into this, and we also talk about ways to differentiate burnout and depression and any overlapping symptoms that physicians may face. Oftentimes in healthcare, we are more focused on our patients than ourselves. It's almost an image that we have to create of being and feeling perfect in healthcare and emanating a sense of good health when the truth is we are all human beings and we all deserve a little care ourselves. So I hope that you find this talk and podcast episode helpful, informative, educational, and enlightening. Hey everyone, it's Avi here. Today on the show, I have Dr. Kara Pepper. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start off with a fun little activity. We call it highs and lows. So basically, we'll each share our highs and lows for the week. Would you like to start? Uh, sure. My high for the week is that I've connected with a bunch of people I haven't connected with in a while. So it was really good to hear their voices and to be able to just, you know, have this human connection, especially in the world of COVID. And my low for the week, which is uh, super common, is that I know a number of people who have COVID and someone who just lost their life to that. So that is certainly a low that we are all um, experiencing, unfortunately. I'm so sorry to hear that. And you're right. We're seeing that so often. I have, you know, a colleague that is waiting on test results. We're all impacted in some way or another. So I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, for me, my low for this week has actually been that I have several patients newly diagnosed with HIV coming in. For some reason, suddenly we're getting a lot more patients with HIV. So it's been kind of sad. I know it's not a personal low per se, but it's definitely a professional low. And, you know, our patients to a certain extent become kind of like family. So that's been a little bit difficult to see. My high would probably be that I'm trying to spend more time on self-care. So this past week, I've been a little bit more consistent with it, which has been nice. So um, just trying to take some time out of the day for myself. And it's, it's definitely helped me. So I find that to be very important. <laughs> So now I'd like to ask you if there's any product that you're currently using that you love, or maybe if you enjoy reading, is there a book that you'd recommend to our listeners? It could even just be some kind of a hobby or favorite activity that you'd like to share with all of us. Yeah, it kind of uh, aligns with that comment about self-care. So like most people, we're trained to be super productive and fill every moment with activities and doing. So my project for 2020 has been to create a lot of white space, or at least any white space. Five minutes felt like a lot in the beginning. 
Um, and so to be able to sit down and do something purely for the pleasure of just doing it and not because it's, you know, achieving something. Um, so I have started reading actual books like made out of That's paper. Great. Love shocking, it. I know. And I actually took a bath for the first time in probably five years. I mean, I, I oh showered, my gosh. <laughs> but I sat in a bathtub, which is like truly a That's amazing. <laughs> That sounds very luxurious. And it's so funny you talk about books like that because it's true. Like, I feel like we, I turn to audiobooks all the time, but I find it to be really exciting to actually have a physical book in hands these days. So it's amazing. I love it. Yes. And not fall asleep while I'm reading it. That's an extra bonus. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your journey that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Kara Pepper. I'm a practicing primary care internist in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm a certified life coach who works with physicians. So I had a really roundabout way of getting here. I was a professional ballet dancer um, as a kid. And then after high school, never planned on going back to college. And so just due to a lot of injuries, ended up having to like uh, have a fallback plan. So found my way to medicine and brought all my perfectionism and imposterism with me. Um, and then found my way to Emory, which is how I landed in Atlanta. And after seven years in practice, got super burned out. And it was in that window of time, I took a sabbatical and found coaching. And it really like helped me regain my love of medicine again, helped me like address my brain and all the things that led to burnout. So um, now I'm still practicing, which I love. And I'm helping my colleagues, med students and residents not get burned out, hopefully. So tell us about what you do as a life coach. Yeah. So, you know, life coaching is not a new skill or a, a new profession. It's not licensed. So congratulations, you and all your listeners are now uh, life coaches as well. Um, but there are certification and structured programs that a lot of us go through. And a lot of physicians are finding their way into that because it's really at the core of like wading into the mess with someone and asking profound questions that question premises and really help the people that you're working with look at things in new ways. So there's a coach for everything. There's coaches who deal with burnout or with charting or with relationships. But the people who generally find me are people who are perfectionistic. They've checked all the boxes and they think, I'm just not happy. Like, what is that all about? And so generally, you know, we're on these train tracks that lead us through med school, residency, attending hood, and then people kind of wake up and think like, what's next? And that's where I step in. Yeah. And so you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but why did you choose to help other physicians struggling with burnout? Well, it's personal, of course. Like I mentioned, I got super burned out and nearly left medicine, was done, done, thought I was going to move home to Florida and open a yoga studio. So really coaching and therapy were the big things that helped me deal with my own stuff and helped me regain my love for medicine. So it, it's in my wheelhouse, certainly, but culturally, we're not trained to ask for help. You know, we're expected to have all the answers. We're expected to be able to solve all the problems and to raise the, raise the white flag and say, I don't feel great. Am I depressed? Am I burned out? What is this? You know, it really helps to have someone who speaks your language and understands what it's like to be in the trenches. So physician to physician or healthcare worker to healthcare worker coaching is a huge thing that's developing right now. 
Yeah, I think having been through it, it's definitely something that you're probably able to connect on that level. So I think that's important in general as physicians, us connecting with our patients. And if we've experienced it ourselves, it's definitely a way to do that. And obviously burnout is so common, but what are the signs and symptoms of burnout? How can one identify if they personally are going through it or experiencing it? Yeah. So the Maslach burnout scale, I think a lot of people are familiar with this emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and diminished sense of accomplishment. But I would say descriptively, you know, burnout and depression usually start in the same place, like people wanting, you know, you think about your first day of med school or your first day of intern year, you're like engaged, super excited to be there. And then things don't start to go well, and you start to internalize what that looks like and feels like. And so often, this sense of discontentment is very similar. But with burnout, it really is an occupational hazard. It's something that we experience as a result of the environment that we're in, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're a physician, it's in the environment. And so this sense of just churning and churning and churning and never being able to get ahead and feeling that it's not worth it and you're not worth it anymore, that's where the burnout comes in compared to depression, which also can make you feel like crap, but it's this, it's a mental health diagnosis and it's treated in a very different way, you know, with medicines and psychotherapy. So, you know, for burnout, I wouldn't prescribe you a medication and for depression, I wouldn't give you a scribe to make you more efficient at work. So it's really important, even though they feel very similar, you sometimes need help from the outside looking in to figure out which one you're dealing with. And same question, but in our peers and colleagues, I mean, are there red flags that we should look out for in terms of burnout? Would you say it's pretty similar or are there other signs or things that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, being that, you know, at least in the practicing physician world, you know, 45 to 50%, depending on the data you're looking at, of physicians are burned out. And now upwards to, you know, 88% of people within the past week have had a symptom of burnout. So it's not if it's happening, it's when. So you can just assume that your colleagues are going to experience burnout and act accordingly. Like really the human peer-to-peer connection is a huge part in that. Like, how are you doing really you know, not just fine in the hallway, saying, hey, I'm worried about you. I see your behaviors change lately. You seem more withdrawn. You're more irritable. You seem pretty frustrated. What are you thinking about work? Do you feel like you're getting the support that you need? So really just making that human connection is usually the first step, no matter what what the underlying problem is. So those are the big, big red flags, behavioral changes and becoming withdrawn. Yeah. Now, what would you say are some potential consequences of burnout or things that you've seen occur in patients? Yeah. I mean, we know that um, within six years of graduation from residency or fellowship, 40% of women have already gone part-time in their careers, certainly scaling back in the number of hours or the scope of your practice. So for example, you may be a trained OBGYN who's scaling back away from the OB and you're just doing GYN, more, more concrete hours and less call. So that, and then certainly just turnover, you know, we're seeing physicians leaving um, or at least like changing their career goals because they don't want to necessarily do what they were doing before. And that decreased sense of like just personal satisfaction. Like we all went into medicine because we love something about it. And when you see that like really bright flame go out, like that's the part that really is so heartbreaking because our patients need us and our colleagues really need us. 
Absolutely. It makes me wonder if that's part of the reason why there's such a shortage in healthcare providers too, because even once you become a doctor, you know, like you said, the statistics show 45 to 50% of us face burnout. Is that why there's also a shortage? Is that many of us end up leaving? So definitely great points there. So you mentioned depression. What are your thoughts on depression versus burnout? Are there specific differences to look out for between the two? On the surface, it may really look the same, just like a general sense of dissatisfaction with work, feeling frustrated, and being withdrawn. That's like kind of the surface level, just like grumpy dissatisfaction, right? Like maybe people are having a bad day, but maybe it's something else, right? So that's where like having, you know, the people who connect very easily, even the extroverts can get depressed and burned out, but people who are plugged in and they have good peer support, they tend to have people asking more questions like, how are you really? And what's going on? And how are you feeling? You're not acting like yourself. But particularly for the introverts like me, who are not the ones like blasting out to the universe that they're not doing well, they tend to slide through the cracks a little bit more. And so they tend to suffer in silence more. Yeah, that's interesting that you noted that. I, I didn't think of it from that perspective. So what are some things about healthcare that you think or within the healthcare system that you think lead to burnout or that can exacerbate burnout as well as depression and other mental health illnesses? Yeah, the, you know, the the things that are commonly listed, of course, are the things we all grumble about at work, you know, charting hours after work, paperwork, increased bureaucratic responsibilities, not having autonomy. So there's, you know, if you look at, you know, the overall causes, probably 80% of it really is organizational issues, inefficiency in practice, not having support from leadership, those things that I mentioned earlier, there's that. But really, truly, a lot of it is mindset, you know, not to try to pretend that those things don't exist, but those things existed on your first day at work. And so when you came in, like super excited with this new job, and you're super excited to help people, and then gradually every day, your brain starts to notice all the things that are going wrong, like really maintaining that sense of positivity and looking for the things that really fill you up, that seems to buffer people from burnout a little bit more, really looking for the things that make them happy, joyful, and grateful. So some days that's easier than others, as I know you know. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about med schools and residency programs? I mean, do you think that programs do a good job of preparing these future physicians to protect them from burnout? Or what do you think that med schools and residency programs can do to help prevent it and to help us overall lower rates of burnout? Yeah, so the good news is that this is on the radar, right? Like the ACGME is really like emphasizing um, resident wellness and that's trickling down into the med med schools. I think that there are low cost ways that you see hospitals and residency programs trying to buffer people from burnout which generally are met with a large amount of eye rolling from the residents and med students I work with, you know, like, thanks for the lecture on yoga when I'm post-call. That's not particularly helpful, right? So I think that there's kind of the virtue signaling signaling piece of things like, hey, we want to make it right, but we don't necessarily know what to do. So I, I guess it's good that things are getting started. But I think when you look for the things that really, truly have evidence between like helping people, like one is autonomy, which, you know, as a resident, when you're working 80 plus hours a week, like you don't have a lot of free time, right? And so part of it is like, how do you just buoy yourself through those years? How do you stay connected? How do you like actually take care of yourself in a meaningful way? And I don't think that that's necessarily on the residency program to facilitate that. 
Second thing is like, you know, med students and residents are at the mercy of the culture of the attendings that they're under. So, you know, if you've got attendings who grew up in a culture where there was no wellness at all, they may not have the skills to even recognize their own unwellness and be able to support the people beneath them. So in my opinion, and particularly from a coaching standpoint, we want to get in at a med student and um, resident level because that's where you start to really change the culture of medicine. And the med students and residents I work with are looking like, you know, at the attendings ahead of them, like, we don't want that life. You know, we don't want to get divorced. We don't want to leave medicine. We're in this for a reason. So I think it's a broad problem that needs to be tackled from a bunch of different directions. Yeah, absolutely. I think it has to be addressed at all levels, but really starting as early as possible, like you're saying, is so important and changing that culture sooner rather than later is really important. What kind of questions would you suggest that med students ask when they're interviewing for programs in terms or when it comes to wellness, essentially? Yeah, I think just being very direct about it. Like, what's the rate of burnout in your program? Are you measuring it? And if they're like, oh, we don't know the statistics, like they're not paying attention. So that's one. And then secondly, like what, what have you implemented that has worked for your residents? And then there are a lot of things, particularly in the year of 2020, that people are, are hopefully more comfortable even asking, you know, whether it's, you know, support from a minority standpoint, you know, what, what does your program actually look like? You know, who are the people that, that are going to be there to support me? Who, you know, representation really matters. So having a sense of, you know, what are you doing to address these issues in your program? So I think really the power is in the med student's hands at this point, because residency programs know that these issues are out there and you can ask the question very directly. And if there's no answer, or they don't know what to say, that's helpful information for you. And you're like, wow, yeah, they, they're really not paying attention to these issues that, that matter to me. Right. I think the mindset a lot of times for med students is we just want to get into residency, but honestly, we need you guys. So, you know, ask these questions, make sure that you're taken care of. You're not just a body in the program, like you're a person you need to be taken care of. So hopefully this conversation helps with that process for a lot of students out there. Now, what about residents that are graduating and applying for jobs or even a physician who's in transition between jobs and applying? Ask similar questions in terms of wellness. Yeah, I would just recognize that whether you're a med student going to residency or a resident going to attending hood, you are interviewing the program or the practice just as they are interviewing you. And right. I know that we all are high achievers and we all want to say that we got the A plus and went to the best programs, but really finding a place that will feed you and give you what you need is absolutely critical, especially during residency where it is going to be stressful because of the work hours. So asking the, you know, really understanding like what are your non-negotiables? Like these are things I will not tolerate, you know, whether that's work hours, whether that's call schedules, whether that's um, in the mix of people that you're going to be working with, you know, and so knowing what your non-negotiables are and then asking for the things that you really need. I mean, the worst that they can say is no, right? Like we don't have that to offer you. So ask for everything you could possibly think of, and then you can scale back based on the things that you, you are your wants and not necessarily your needs. Right. Absolutely. What do you think about asking about how often are you seeing physicians leave the practice and how would you word that when you're asking in an interview? Is it appropriate, do you think, to ask in an interview? Oh, yeah. What's your turnover rate here in the practice? How often do you have physicians leave? What's their average length of stay? And, you know, the culture is going to be very different, you know, if you're looking at a 
three to five doc practice compared to interviewing for an institution, you know, an academic center or whatever. But again, you know, all these questions are just to get information. And so I think it's reasonable if you knew that you've got three senior partners and they've had five young docs turnover in the past five years, like that's really helpful information, right? It's better right. just to ask all the questions and their reaction is really helpful information to get the information you're really trying to get to. I really wish there was a class in how to interview, <laughs> like in med school, if there was a class saying, these are the questions you should be asking when you look at residency programs or you're you know, applying for a job, these are the questions you should ask because no one really teaches you in healthcare to ask these questions. So it's so important. What do you think in terms of these big healthcare systems that talk about having wellness programs? For example, you'd mentioned yoga, but like yoga classes or other amenities to help physicians with work-life balance. Do you think these programs help? In my personal experience, no, I, I did not find them to be particularly helpful because they didn't really address the real needs that I had, right? Like, I, I love yoga. I love meditation, but that never fixed my burnout. What fixed my burnout was understanding that I had safe space to talk about the very real issues that I was facing, that there was space to talk about second victim syndrome issues. Like when I lost a patient and I just thought it was my fault, like there was no place where I could unpack that. I think real tangible things that residency programs can offer is like time off to go to doctor's appointments, like mandatory therapy lists that they can give their their residents and saying like we value mental health we understand that this is going to be an issue we want to support you in that so when there's like tangible things that they're offering not just here's something that sounds nice but like we want to support you in a financial and a time way because those are the currencies that really matter then that's when you know that they're serious about their wellness programs right and can you tell us a little bit more about second victim syndrome yeah, absolutely. It was defined about 20 years ago. And it's basically when you have a patient who has an unexpected adverse patient event, they die unexpectedly or they have a you know error in surgery. The patient is the first victim, but the caregivers who take care of that patient are the second victims. And so we often internalize that, oh my gosh, that was my fault. There's a lot of guilt and shame and heartbreak around those situations because we're real life humans who care about the people we take care of. And so the second victim syndrome is, is the emotional trauma that's associated with that. And so we know that the best way to deal with it when you have something unexpected happen is to have space to talk to a peer about it. But very often, at least in my experience, when I was a resident, you know, there was work to do. So someone died and you just kept rounding, you know. And so really looking from a cultural standpoint about how can we support people, not if, but when that will happen. Because we know about 80% of physicians experience that. And actually JCO, like our governing bodies that's like making rules for our hospital systems, they have guidelines for this stuff. So finding a program, you can even ask, like, what do you do when someone dies? Like, how do you support your residents? That's a great question because it is so, unfortunately, so common that we see, you know, some patients do pass away and it does have an effect on us. Like we are still human beings. We have feelings. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Now you've mentioned several tools, but I just kind of want to highlight them one more time. You know, what do you think are effective tools or treatment methods to help with burnout? So one is just like the basics. Like, you know, we talk about the ABCs of medicine, like there's the ABCs of burnout except they don't go by <laughs> So just the very basic things. Are you eating to support your body, eating and drinking water? You're allowed to pee during the day. Are you like drinking enough to urinate and you're stopping to actually do those things? Are you sleeping? 
Are you connecting with people that you care about? Like the soul piece of like feeding your soul. And so like, that's like the basics. And honestly, sometimes like that's all you can do during a given month when you're working in 80 hour weeks, right? So just really holding tight on the things that are important to you. That's step one. Step two is like having some sort of purpose or identity outside of medicine is going to be critical because inevitably things are not going to go your way. You lose a patient or you have a tough rotation. You don't get great grades, whatever. Like you need something else that defines you besides who you are as a healthcare um, provider. And then also like knowing that this is not forever, that there is an end um, to your med school, there's an end to residency and having a plan for what that's going to look like and what this ideal life that you want can look like. Like don't lose hope that this is forever, that there really is a future that you have total control over and you can craft. And then lastly, having a mentor, a coach, a therapist, like some safe space where you can actually talk about the things that you're experiencing is going to be critical whether you're feeling bad or not. I mean, I've been seeing my therapist for 10 years and I'm the best I've ever been. And I keep seeing her because she's just part of the part of the stuff that keeps me well. So having safe space to talk about what you're dealing with. That's amazing. Now, there's a lot of stigma still, I feel like, around therapy. Are there ways to break that? Yeah, you can just understand that like, you know, all of our body needs to be nourished mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, and so it's okay to talk about the things that are going on with you. We're not culturally indoctrinated to like know that as physicians, but like that's just real life. We're allowed to talk about things that are going on. And I think the more that we just say like, yep, I need this afternoon off. I'm going to go go to a doctor's appointment. I'm going to go to a therapist appointment and just normalizing that we have to take care of ourselves. That is um, a really easy way to start hacking away at that stigma. But if you haven't ever seen a therapist, you know, there's all different types that are out there. And I think it's a little bit like dating. Like I could think they're great and you could think they're weird. So just, it's really about relational fit sometimes. So you may need to try more than one before you find your person. Yeah, that's something I commonly hear even in my own patients is, well, it wasn't a good fit for me. So I decided not to continue with it. Yes, but you've talk to one person. Maybe you just didn't connect with them. Why don't we try again? Maybe with someone else that you might connect better with. (laughs) You wouldn't go on one date as a teenager and then be like, well, that wasn't the love of my life. So I'll never date again. Right. Like you would just try again. I love that comparison. It's perfect. (laughs) So do you have any tips on how to communicate with one's leadership team or say your boss, if you are feeling burnt out? Yes. So I would... I mean, ideally, in the ideal world, you will have had time to like focus on what you need and what's really getting at you, right? So often we wait until we really are at our breaking point and then we explode and that's what gets our boss's attention or our professor's attention. So ideally, plan for getting depressed or burned out and say, I would like to try to not do that. I would like to be able to take care of myself so I don't get to that place. But let's say you're doing the best that you can and you still end up dealing with depression or burnout, again, having mentors in place and a therapist in place to say, hey, I'm really struggling. Maybe I need a leave of absence. Like I took a leave of absence from my practice when I was seven years in, or I need help. I need to scale my hours or whatever. But like coming with some solutions and having an understanding of the problem so that you're not reacting, but you're actually showing up and saying, hey, I need help. This is what I need help with. That's great. I wanted to talk a little bit about the pandemic now. How do you think COVID-19 has impacted physician health, wellness, and burnout rates? 
<laughs> I, I think <laughs> without the actual data in front of us, I think subjectively people will say like, yes, like burnout and depression rates are going up. We're seeing people leave the field. Medscape does this huge survey fall of every year and then reports their data in January. So the last data that we have is from January 2020, right before the pandemic. There was a survey that came out this summer that looked at rates in July and August. And so the average burnout rate had gone from 45 to about 60% different measurements, whatever, but we're seeing a trend. And then there are some other agencies, um, particularly in the Mayo and Stanford arena that are um, looking at this stuff too with the AMA. So the short answer is, I think we all are feeling the mental and emotional exhaustion that's there. And that's having a direct impact on our relationship with work. I think particularly you and I are recording this the week of Thanksgiving. So, you know, this whole conversation about I'm just done, I just want to see my family and I don't care. And I'm hearing that from healthcare workers. There's this cognitive dissonance, right? People are, they want to feel like a normal human again. And also they don't want to die of COVID. So I think everyone's really struggling. So I think we're seeing those rates go up for sure. Yeah, definitely. Now you mentioned earlier, you talked a little bit about female physicians going part-time and so on. So I have read that female physicians experience burnout at higher rates than male physicians. So do you believe that to be true? And if so, why do you think that is? The data would definitely support that that's true, that women experience burnout at higher rates than men. And why do I think that's true? I think that even though we are in 2020 and there's all kinds of women's liberation that's happened, I think culturally and personally, women still carry a major mental and physical load at home. So we're trying to be full-time physicians and also come home and run a family and manage a household. And that's not 100% true for every woman. Certainly, some people choose not to have children. Some people have stay-at-home dads, all those things. But generally speaking, women are working two or more full-time jobs, you know, with their mom slash wife hat on and their physician hat on. And that certainly contributes to burnout. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. We still have a ways to go. Now, I want to talk a little bit about specialties. Do you think there are certain specialties that face higher rates of burnout and why? Yeah, there's a, so if you look at just overall Americans, about 25% of Americans are burned out. And then if you look at the physician spread, it's generally like 35 to 55%. And so in the higher realm, it depends on what you're looking at. Urology is kind of peaking at the top for a variety of reasons, but you'll see high acuity, high hours, high like death rate um, um, specialties at the top. And then certainly you see a lot of primary care up there too. Although we're in a clinic, there still is plenty of acuity. And also there's just the inherent part of being a primary care physician with paperwork and all of that. So yes, there's a, there's definitely a spread. And so as the general rate for specialty burnout increases, the rate for women within that specialty, their, their burnout increases as well. And obviously we know we talked so much about, you know, documentation and how that's such a big headache and things. I don't personally feel like (laughs) it was really discussed so much in med school that, hey, a big part of your job is going to be paperwork and, you know, the billing and all this documentation. What are some strategies to help lower our burnout rates or make things not as overwhelming? Yeah, I mean, certainly figuring out what your team is. Do you have a nurse? Do you have an MA? Do you have a triage assistant, you know, who, who is in your team and really delegating the work to the person it's best suited for. So particularly as the med students and residents in the crowd, you know, we just take care of 
everything. You're the patient transporter, you are the interpreter, you're the paperwork filler router, all the things. And recognizing that your job is just to be the physician when you get to be an attending. Like, yes, you have to make sure everything gets done, but there are people you can hand off to. So knowing it's okay to hand off, that's one. And then I think there's a lot to be said about charting specifically in terms of efficiency, you know, particularly when you're in training and, you know, I'm an internist, so we like to have like 50 point differentials and we like to round for eight hours a day. I mean, it's so annoying, right? But like in real life, you know, a sore throat is probably just a virus and I don't need to talk about the 40 other things that it can be. So bullet points, typos. I'm going to say this. Typos are okay in your notes. Like, you know, it's really, it doesn't have anything to do with the quality of caregiving. So recognizing that you don't have to write in prose and that you can just consolidate your notes down can make it a lot more efficient. Getting rid of the perfectionism um, will really help with that. Do you think having scribes helps? I wouldn't know. I don't have one, but... (laughs) I don't either. <laughs> That's I don't know. <laughs> they sound amazing. But yes, I mean, I, I think particularly in certain settings, like having, you know, if you're in the ER or you're a procedural based thing, when you're doing the procedure, having someone else documenting for you so you don't have to do that later. Yeah, absolutely. That's been shown to help. Um, my personal choice, because I do so much counseling in my clinic room, I don't want a third person in the room with me. So that's just been a choice that I've made. But yes, scribes can definitely help make you more efficient or handing off some of the documentation, let's say to the MA or the nurse who's bringing the patient back, they can do a lot of the clicking so that you're left with just the assessment and plan and the exam. You know, when we apply for our licensure, we do get asked, do you have any health conditions like mental health um, illnesses and things? Do you think that that is also a part of the problem in terms of, you know, the stigma and then the fear that physicians may have? And does it play into this sense of we need to be perfect to be able to take care of our patients? Yeah, I love that you asked that because two thirds of states have that as part of the licensure requirement to report mental health history. Georgia, when you and I are here in Georgia, is definitely one of those. So it definitely is a deterrent for people to actually seek out care because they don't want that on their medical record. So it's a huge need in terms of advocacy because we need to be able to support ourselves. And so we need to be able to like manage our mental and emotional health. So being able to advocate against having that reported is step one. But in the meantime, in real life, you know, as a coach, I have a lot of people come to me because they're like, I don't want to say I'm depressed, so I'm just going to come to you as a coach. And so probably 10% of the people that come to me, I'm like, you truly need trauma therapy or you need to be on medication. Like that's not in the scope of coaching. So it's a complex issue, but again, normalizing that we're real life human beings who need to be able to take care of ourselves starting from the first day of med school is going to be really critical in changing that culture and changing the laws consequently. Do you think that the COVID-19 pandemic will help with this? Do you think it will humanize physicians and healthcare workers? Do you think it'll play any role in that? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) That's my optimism. You too. (laughs) I hope so too. So lastly, I wanted to ask you if you had any advice or a take-home message for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Like you are your most important patient every single day. It is okay for you to pee every day when you're in clinic. It is okay for you to like sleep and feed your body and it's okay to ask for help. So, you know, just when the plane is going down, you got to put on your oxygen mask. Like it's the same thing every day and it just takes practice. And you may be the only person who's practicing. That's okay too. It may not mean that they're doing it right. It may mean that you're doing it right. So take care of yourself. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Pepper. I really appreciate your time and everything that you're doing for our community. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Absolutely. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. So that was the episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed speaking with Dr. Pepper. Please follow her on Instagram at Kara Pepper MD. You can also check out her website. It is KaraPepperMD.com. Feel free to reach out to me uh, via Instagram at Dr.AviVarma if you have other topics that you'd be interested in having me talk about on this podcast, or if you have specific guest speakers that you would be interested in having me in interview. I'd love to hear from you guys and hear your thoughts. This episode came about through several messages that I've received to discuss burnout. It's definitely a topic that is important in healthcare and important for us to understand. So all of you out there that are training in the healthcare field or are in healthcare currently, I do hope that this helps and answers many of your questions about burnout and how it pertains to medicine. Please also feel free to follow us on our Instagram account at Brown Girl White Coat Pod. We love to engage with our followers. If you have any other topics or things you want to discuss with us, feel free to DM us on that account as well. I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving and hope you are all safe and well. And thank you so much for making this podcast a part of your day wherever you are.